Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, this is the end of our Be and Behold series. Um, and if any of you remember um, Josh's sermon last week, uh, he asked the question, how do we love like Jesus loves? And he talked about how we can only love like Jesus when we're focusing on Jesus. So this week, we're going to take that um, many, many, many steps farther and really dig into what it means to be focusing on Jesus. Where is it that you focus? Where is it that you behold Jesus? Um, What does that look like for you? So the focus of our talk this morning is going to come from 2 Corinthians 3.18. If you want to turn your Bibles there or go to your Bible app, that's where we're going to be spending the majority of our time. But we're also going to go back uh, like a flashback and really dig into what sets up that verse, um, where that verse actually comes from. Uh, but 3.18 in Second Corinthians, that's one of the primary verses in Scripture that explains how a Christian is transformed. How a Christian is transformed or how a Christian loves more like Jesus and becomes more like Jesus by doing so. So the key word in the passage that we're going to be reading is glory, which is the name of my dog, by the way. In fact, just between verses 7 through 18 in 2 Corinthians, the word glory shows up 10 times. That's how you know they're really trying to put some emphasis on this. Paul really wanted us to know what the glory of God actually meant. And when Paul is doing this in this passage, he's contrasting old covenant glory or the ministry of Moses to new covenant glory, which is much better, much greater. This is like going from three channels to 1000 channels. Anybody here a three channel person? I remember being that way when I was growing up. Three channels to 1000 channels or from a rotary phone to a smartphone. Or like playing wiffle ball in your backyard to go into Camden Yards. The outcome in the backyard might be better, but it's still nice to be at Camden Yards, right? Field looks really pretty and the the food is fantastic. Um, And verses 7 through 11 give us a bunch of if statements, which is basically like, if the old covenant was good, then surely the new covenant must be better because of this. Um, So we're going to pick up in verses 12 through 18, 2 Corinthians. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. There's a lot to unpack there in what we just read. 
Um, he talks about the physical veil that Moses wore um, compared to the spiritual veil that is worn by a lot of people today. The spiritual veil that is worn over people's hearts. People who have not yet received the gospel. Josh told us last week that when we focus on Jesus, we love like Jesus. It's as simple as that. The central truth from this scripture that we just read is that we need to consider this. Beholding Christ is the only way to experience true spiritual change. Because what you behold changes you. What you behold changes you. That's the first of three points that I'm going to make this morning. What you behold changes you. What you choose to focus on, whatever consumes your mind, your thoughts, it changes you. The background context for this scripture comes from Exodus 32 through 34. What's being discussed here in 2 Corinthians is referencing directly back to these chapters in Exodus. And these chapters focus on, if I can take you back to Sunday school, the golden calf scene that children are taught so often. The golden calf that we're familiar with from Sunday school, but let's have a quick refresher. 50 days after the Lord miraculously delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, 50 days, they made a golden calf and they worshiped that instead. 50 days. That's a month and a half. I don't know about you guys, but do you ever look back on scripture and just get frustrated with like how unintelligent or how foolish some of these people come across? Like sometimes I read about the disciples and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right with them. Like, how can you, how can you be doubting? You know what I mean? And I read this and I think to myself like 50 days and you've already forgotten about God. Come on. I wait longer between episodes of this is us. You can wait 50 days, you know? 50 days, a month and a half after the Lord miraculously delivered them, that's how quickly their hearts forgot God's goodness in their lives. And I'm not mocking these people. I know that if I was in the same circumstances, I would do the same or worse. But it just goes to show how quickly our focus can be taken off of our Savior, the one who saves us. 50 days after all of this, Aaron took the earrings from the people. He fashioned them into a golden calf. And they said, here are your gods that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw it, he worshiped it. When the Israelites saw their mindless calf idol, they became mindless themselves. And that's what happens, not just to them, but to us, just like Aaron and the Israelites we can very, very quickly forget the goodness of the Lord and how God has moved in our own lives and the sin that he's delivered us from. Our society is different. A golden calf wouldn't really do so much nowadays. There's one on the side of Route 1. I don't know if you've ever noticed that heading to Hartford County. It's sitting there. We're not stopping on the side of the street and worshiping it. But there are idols in our lives. They just don't look the same. What about money? What about power? Or maybe pleasure? Or the idol of entertainment? Or approval? 
Or if you want to really sound like our society, what about instant gratification? In pursuit of those idols, we also become mindless, just like the Israelites, and blinded, just like the Israelites, when they saw the golden calf. Now, in contrast to all of these things, Moses, he didn't need an idol. He didn't need an object to worship. He didn't ask to see one. He instead, in verse 17, asked to see something else entirely. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. And then verse 18, Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. He didn't want an idol. He wants to see the glory of the Lord. And he talks with God. The result of this is in Exodus uh, 34, 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he didn't know that after talking with God, the skin of his face was shining. Scripture tells us that when Moses came down carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. His skin was shining. Other translations say he came down and his skin shone because he had been talking with God. And he didn't even realize it. He realized it later so he could record it. But at the time, all he realized was that he showed up among the people and everyone was looking at him weird. It's like walking into a room when everyone's talking about you and you could just kind of sense it, you know? Everyone's looking at him strange because God's presence caused him to shine. This is the best way that I've seen it worded. It's from Charles Spurgeon. It says, the face of Moses was to God what the moon is to the sun. I love that quote. I know that's a lot of backstory, but it gives us the context that we need to move forward. So knowing that story and circling back to 2 Corinthians 3.18, we'll read it one more time. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. It's telling us that we like Moses in the Old Testament, we are now able with unveiled faces to behold the glory of the Lord, to behold his presence without anything there to separate us. Which brings us back to that first point. What we behold changes us. We were created in the image of God so that we may be like God. We become what we were created to be by looking at Christ himself who was the very image of God. If sin is what dehumanizes us, then it is Christ that humanizes us. Beholding Christ brings us closer to what we were created to be. If I want to become my true self, the, the key to that isn't personality tests. And I'm not coming down on personality tests or Enneagrams or anything that anyone here might do. They have a point. Those things aren't bad. I don't want people going home saying that like Ben uh, thinks the Enneagram is trash or anything like that. They help me understand myself a little bit better. Sure. That's very important. But unless those things affect what I behold, they don't have the power to change me. 
If those things don't affect what I behold, they don't have the power to change me. If they focus more on improving ourselves instead of what we behold, then they actually change us for the worse. A few years ago, my wife and I um, went to a planetarium in a science center. Uh, we were really excited about like going in there, having lights turned off and seeing all the stars. And the guy that was running it um, was not that excited. Um, I think he had been doing it for too long and was burning out on the job a little bit. And what he kept doing that was really depressing, he turned on the planetarium, lights come on, you get to see what the sky looks like. And there are two stars that are visible. And we're looking at those two stars And he's just like, um, so when it gets to be nighttime, middle of the night, how many stars do you think you guys are going to see? And all the kids in the planetarium are just like, oh, millions, millions of stars. And he was like, let's check. And he hits a button. Three stars are visible. And he tells us no, because of light pollution. Because of all of the lights that are around us in Baltimore City, you're not going to see that many tonight you're going to see three. And he kept that going. It was like 15 minutes and the kids were getting discouraged. And they're like, I don't know, eight stars. And he's like, nope, that's optimistic. Seven stars at this time. (laughs) He did finally show us the full sky. It didn't last for that long, but um, I think he did it so the kids wouldn't walk out depressed. But still, The sight of two stars instead of millions carries with it a very, very important lesson. You can look at something absolutely magnificent and it can still be distorted by what is going on around you. You can look at something beautiful and gorgeous, but if your hand is in front of your face blocking what you're seeing, it ruins the view. Does that make sense? The end of verse 17 says, we now have the freedom to behold Christ. We've been given the freedom to see him. That's because where the script of the where, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We have the freedom to access God directly. And this was a freedom that was previously reserved for Moses. The Israelites didn't have this privilege, but Moses had what we call an unveiled access to God. And Moses came down Mount Sinai with his radiant face. The Israelites were terrified. They were not ready. What they had been beholding, a golden calf, made them terrified of what the Lord's presence actually looked like. Moses had no idea that he was being transformed just by beholding the glory of God. So we too were not transformed by constantly thinking about what we need to do to change. We're not transformed by thinking about what we need to do to improve ourselves. That's called focusing on us. How do I better myself? What's wrong with me? How do I become a better Christian? How do I become a better husband? How do I become a, a Proverbs 31 woman? Not me specifically, but you know, the women in the room. Um, they're all great questions, but not what the focus should be because those are all focused on self. Instead, we are gradually transformed from one degree of glory to another by beholding Jesus Christ. 
by beholding our Lord and Savior. The more that we behold Jesus Christ, the more we reflect the glory of God. Romans 3.23 is an often quoted verse in scripture. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it doesn't say that we've all sinned and fall short of God's perfection. And that's what we were created to reflect to the rest of his creation. And we reflect that by beholding him. Because what we behold changes us. When we behold Christ, we are being restored into his image. We are being transformed. That's passive. That means that something is actually happening to us. The Greek word that's used in there is metamorpho. Might not be pronouncing it correctly. Is Stan Graham in here? Is it metamorpho? Yes. Okay, good. Metamorpho. What does that sound like to you guys? Metamorphosis. Right. It's a metamorphosis starting to sound like a science fiction movie. It is a metamorphosis that is taking place. It's almost serendipitous that we are talking about metamorphosis this morning or transformation, whatever you want to call it, because one of nature's most unique and beautiful transformations is taking place right now, right outside of this building. I'm not talking about the transformation from spring to summer as beautiful as that is. I am talking about something much, much more beautiful. I am talking about cicadas. <laughs> oh, thank you, Carter. I opened the door to our office this morning and 12 cicadas fell on my head. They're not over here for some reason, maybe because this building is newer, but across the street, they're very real and they're very alive. Uh, I'm sure your children are safe. Um, but real quick, if we're talking about metamorphosis and we're talking about transformation, here's a quick um, refresher on cicadas. Cicadas live underground for 17 years. They don't sleep. People think they sleep. They do not. They feed off of the tree sap and nutrients from tree roots. They tunnel under there constantly. And then they emerge after 17 years and they climb up the tree and then they transform into what I'll call their adult costumes. Um, they leave their husks on the trees, which is why we see so many husks hanging out on the side of trees or they've fallen off of trees onto the ground surrounding a tree. Um, that is the metamorphosis. It's like an insect version of invasion of the body snatchers. Um, and when they're fresh out of that husk, it's at that stage that I am told they are at their most edible. Ugh. They're at their most edible. Which means that someone at some point in time saw the white thing emerging from a husk and said, honey, fire up the grill. Uh -huh. Cicadas then fly off to find their true loves and then they die a month later. It's like a Shakespeare story. <laughs> we don't hear from them for almost two decades. They're like the Doctor Who of the insect community. And then they just come back and they do it all over again. But that transformation only happens once in a lifetime for cicadas. We are talking about something much more beautiful because as Christians, 
We are not transformed one time. We transform and transform and transform. We move from one stage of glory to the next, to the next, to the next, continually. Ooh, sorry, <laughs> I'm still thinking about the cages. Um, we don't just die to our old selves and then move on. We are continually transformed, Scripture says, from one degree of glory to another by beholding Christ. Which brings us to the second point that we're going to make this week. Beholding Christ is impossible without the Holy Spirit. This unveiling and beholding that we've been talking about is said to come from one person. It comes from God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Human effort alone ends in failure. Satan so badly wants us to fix our eyes on anything other than Christ. And the easiest thing that we could possibly fix our eyes on is ourselves. And this is where a lot of intense spiritual warfare takes place. Whenever we hear God's commands laid out before us, as beautiful as they are, we must be careful to not see them as a checklist for how we better ourselves. That's not what they are. That effort that we put forth is just going to lead to self-reliance or self-dependence, which is going to go one of two ways, self-obsession or self-destruction. Or self-defeat, which is basically self-destruction when we get it wrong. When we read in scripture how we should be living, when we read how we're called to live, our response should be simple. I read how I'm supposed to be in scripture. And the first thing that I think to myself is, I can't. I can't do that. I can't not sin. I can't love my, have you met my neighbor? <sighs> we say that we can't because the reality is Christ can. You know how we know? Because Christ did. When we're called to love difficult people, we look to Christ and we see how he loved difficult people. When we're called to forgive, we see what perfect forgiveness looks like in Christ. When we're called to sacrifice, when we're called to endure suffering, we looked at the greatest example that we could possibly have. So I can't, Christ can. Christ did. And thanks to Christ, I can as well as a result. I can go and I can do likewise. I can do greater things because thank God he sent his spirit to make the impossible possible. Some of you here today might feel like the change in your life is very, very slow going, going from one stage of glory to the next. Um, and I definitely felt that way before, but take comfort knowing that the spirit of God always accomplishes what he sets out to do. On our end, we continue to fight to behold him so that we, we may move from one degree of glory to the next. Some of you might say, I focus on Jesus and I don't feel very glorious. I don't feel any glory at all. To that I say, just like Moses, we are probably completely unaware of when we reflect his glory. He had no idea his face was shining. Because, and this is the final point this morning, because beholding leads to becoming. 
beholding leads to becoming. When Moses came down Mount Sinai, he had no idea that his skin was shining and everyone he passed was afraid to go near him. Beholding the presence of God changed him from one degree of glory to the next. And we become like that when we worship, when we praise God, when we take communion, when we pray, when we read scripture, when we meditate on who God is and who he is in our lives. We even know this from a micro level, okay? If we think on a scale much less than worship, we'll just say like admiration between two human beings, okay? We pick up habits and mannerisms from people that we admire. There was a Gatorade commercial that I remember very well from when I was a kid. Um, I completely forgot about it until my wife and I watched the last dance documentary on Netflix about the 93 to 98 Chicago Bulls. I don't know if anyone saw that or not. Um, And there was a Gatorade commercial where they sang the song, If I Could Be Like Mike. Anyone remember that? That was, it was a saying. It was very popular when I was a kid. If I could be like Mike. Because everybody loved Michael Jordan. They sang the song and there was no athlete like him. And everyone knew that song because everyone loved the Bulls. Everyone loved Michael Jordan. I thought he was like a superhero when I was a kid. I used to make my mom buy boxes of Wheaties, not because I liked the cereal. It would inevitably go in the trash, but because a Michael Jordan poster came in the box because I wanted to be like Mike. And here we are 20, 30 years later. No one's like Mike. LeBron tries. He's not. No one is like Michael Jordan. None of us were ever going to be like Mike, but we'd see the glory of Michael Jordan and we would try to emulate it. Stick out our tongues going for layups or any other kind of goal in any other kind of sport. We emulate what we admire. The most admired person that we could ever encounter is Jesus Christ. As we behold him, we become more like him. So the question that we're left with is this, how do we change Is it across time? Yes and no. Time is definitely a factor, but some Christians, they do not get better with age. We've seen that. We have sad story after sad story of Christians we know or knew in real life and in scripture who actually digressed a stage or two. Is it morals? Straighten up, fly right, work harder, don't break rules. That's all good advice, but it's advice that when it stands on its own, it's just hyperbole. Moralism is a part of almost every single religion. Almost every religion has the same type of morals. Good morals are found in almost every religion, but you know what is not found in every religion? You know what sets us apart from every religion? One thing, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is what makes us different. Jesus Christ is what sets us apart. That is the difference. Why do we sing praise songs about the glory of Jesus? Because we want to see his glory. When we see his glory, it changes us every single time. We can't behold the work, or we can behold the work that Jesus did on the cross, what Jesus accomplished through his resurrection. Here's a fun one. Behold the glory of what Jesus is going to do. Right? 
We can behold what he's done. We can behold what he's going to do in the future. Paul, in his letters, multiple times, puts so much emphasis on the glory that is still to come. There is so much glory that is still to come. The glory that is yet to be revealed. So we can see it in the past. We can see it in what's to come. The only thing that's left is the present. Do you see the things that God is doing right now? Do you see what he does in the lives of friends and family members? Do you see how he works within the community of believers? Do you see how God works within this church, within the small groups at this church? Every time we see a baptism or a decision made to turn away from sin and bring Jesus into another life, we transform. We have to see him, we have to praise him, we have to behold him, and as we behold him, we become like him. Psalm 17, 15 says, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. So the question that I'm going to close out with this morning is, where is it that you behold him? Where is it in your lives that you just take time to behold God? Where is it that you best focus on Jesus? Where is it that you best understand him or encounter him? For some people, it's a quiet corner in a coffee shop. I've heard lots of friends that say that it's a long drive to work in the morning when they're not interrupted by anything. Hiking on a trail or just a peaceful walk around a neighborhood. Consider that time for a minute. Now, how do you prioritize that time so that you can move from one stage of glory to the next and to the next to be more like him. There's a metamorphosis that takes place. God is doing this actively in his people when we see and when we behold him. Not a casual observance. This is the biggest need in our lives to every day see the glory of God and the face of Jesus and to behold it. So prioritize that time so that you could transform into what you were created to be. Let's pray. Um, God, I thank you so much for this message that was both Old Testament and New Testament and for the New Covenant, God. I I am so grateful for the time that we have uh, just to study this and to understand what it means to move from one stage of glory to the next. We all have that time in our lives where we behold you and we could all do a better job of prioritizing that, Lord. Um, And that's what we want more than anything else is to be more like you. So I just ask that you be with us as we do that. Help us to look to you. Help us to find that time so that we can praise you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.